Welcome to V1, the podcast, an aviation podcast where we dive into the world of aviation. My name is Nick Herring, and I'm your host. You're listening to season one, which is all about aviation careers. This is episode four, part one, where we discuss flight instruction. We sit down with Moises Robles, a brand new flight instructor at just age 19, a fellow aeronautical university student, and a very good friend of mine. We discuss the CFI training process, how he handles school and flight instructing at the same time, and much more. So without further ado, welcome aboard to Season 1, Episode 4, Part 1. Hello everyone and welcome back to V1 The Podcast. It's Nick, your host, and I'd like to start out by apologizing. There's been some time that has elapsed since the last episode, almost a month actually, I'm sorry about that. These last few weeks have been pretty hectic with getting my commercial written out of the way, I passed, by the way, moving off campus into a brand new house with a couple of the guys from the school and, of course, my normal job on the weekends. But we're back now, and it's time to talk about flight instruction as our next installment. This one is a two-parter discussion, and today for part one, we're going to talk about what it's like transitioning from being a student to being a flight instructor. And with me is a good friend, a fellow student, a brand new flight instructor, and a member of a group who's some of the youngest flight instructors in the country Moises Robles, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for having me, Nick. It's, <laughs> it's always an honor, and I love your podcast. It's honestly one of the best things, especially for a young student pilot, getting an inside view of that. Awesome. Thank you very much. Yeah, um, we both have been pretty busy lately, actually. Yeah. Um, we're going to talk about some of the reasons why you've been busy, especially getting uh, starting instruction at the school now, and, mm-hmm. and uh, me just finishing up my commercial. Hopefully, by the end of the month or first week of July, I'll have that commercial certificate, and then... Uh, just following in your step footsteps there, Moises. Yeah, right <laughs> behind me. Um, okay, so you're you're a flight instructor at just 19 years old. So how what does that feel like? Uh, it's definitely surreal. Uh, honestly, I still can't believe it. Being a flight instructor, uh, just always enjoy flying, and never thought of just me showing people how to fly, showing students, fellow um, fellow fellow like students that my same passion, and just showing them just how to take the controls. So let's start with what got you into aviation. Where did it all, where did it all begin for you? Uh, what got me into aviation was when I was eight years old. Uh, my parents took me to a Young Eagles um, flight day, and just when I was eight years old, getting into that Cessna 172, I couldn't reach the pedals. I barely could see over the dashboard. <laughs> so just me being up front, seeing that, that just was always fascinating to me, and it just uh, always in the back of my mind, always looking up in the sky all throughout since. It wasn't until high school, junior year, when I um, showed an interest when Amber Riedel came to our school, just like Amber Riedel being the, one of the big names in aviation, uh, professional aviation for aeronautical schools. Uh, when they came to my school, they introduced about all the vast opportunities about aviation, and I just was so intrigued by that. At first, I wanted to be an aerospace engineer, but as my friend introduced me, to this group at the local airport. Uh, I went to the meetings and I enjoyed it. It was uh, it was called Aviation Explorers and that uh, program allowed me to, allowed to introduce all about the whole aviation community, not just pilots uh, and the aviation side, but also the airport manager, line mm-hmm. service, so everything about that. Um, and as I progressed through, I finally joined as a member and one thing cool about that program is as long as you attend all the meetings and fundraisers, they help pay for half of your program. So that made oh, it cool. very affordable for me and my family to actually start it. And we met two very great people uh, through that program, which actually, one, I met my instructor there. 
Um, and I did my flight training, my private flight training, uh, and it says a 150, very, very affordable cost. And the instructor did lit, uh, was very little for instruction costs. So That's it was nice. actually very affordable and one of the best times uh, for me getting into aviation. Awesome. So you, you, uh, you went through and got your private pilot license mm -hmm. and your instrument. Of course, yeah. And so you and I started at our university at the same time as uh, October 2016, yes. right? So you had, you had come in already with uh, your private and your instrument. Um, and then have kind of just gone through the program that we've had so far from, from that point on. So um, tell me about your CFI training experience specifically and what those final weeks were like leading up to that check ride. So uh, compared to doing my uh, commercial here at the CAU, um, it was different because it was going from uh, a very rote memory, meaning just memorizing stuff and, of course, having a basic understanding of it uh, as a student for a commercial pilot, uh, just focusing on maneuvers, focusing on uh, commercial operations. Uh, as it started to transition to flight instructor, uh, the program, uh, there wasn't really much of a curriculum per se. It, of course, we did uh, have a ground school for CFI, but it wasn't more like... Um, going over certain topics. It was more going over how to teach, mm -hmm. uh, creating objectives, creating standards, and mainly going over fundamentals of instruction, which is very big in, uh, in flight instruction. Right. Uh, not memorizing all the stuff per se, but understanding what are the techniques, what are the theories, and actually implementing them. Because it's not always a matter of knowing everything, right? It's a matter of being able to teach it. To teach somebody. it. That's the whole yes. Point. Yeah. And that's one thing that it's hard for all students, and it was a struggle for me too. Because when I was going in the plane or trying to teach in front of uh, the class, it was hard because for me, my brain <laughs> thinks faster than my mouth can talk. Okay. So literally, I would just jumble up all these words, and uh, it just I wasn't getting my point across. So you have to slow down, think of it, make clear objectives, and then do a step-by-step -step process. And make it also make sure to um, have some things where the learn uh, you know and understand if this to see if the learners is actually learning. Mm -hmm. So now, so as you get closer to that check ride date, you know, things start getting put into perspective and you maybe start getting a little nervous. But would you say the CFI check ride is probably your hardest one or, or no? Cause I know a lot of people say that's probably the most difficult check ride aside uh, from their instrument. No, ride. definitely. It, that is true because, uh, you're definitely, your knowledge is put to the test. Mm -hmm. Uh, not just, yeah, like I said, not just the memorization, but a f full understanding where you're able to teach it and, I'm constantly always have to make sure and uh, I'm getting the correct information before I even say any amount of information to my students right. because that's definitely important. I don't want to be giving out the wrong information. So uh, definitely it is one of the hard, uh, I would say one of the hardest check rides, uh, just trying to memorize um, all these things and testing your knowledge. What was, some, what was one of the hardest things you had to face when, during that training process and just becoming a CFI in general? Uh, so again, yeah, my problem was uh, trying to speak while mm -hmm. doing the maneuver, uh, teaching. That's T the whole thing. Yeah, talk maybe. it out. So that's the most important thing in flight instruction. And our job as flight instructors is basically to teach, make sure everything is safe. And so we want to make sure that we're exercising the safe, uh, that we're safe pilots ourselves. Mm -hmm. And when we fly, we're making sure that everything's safe um, and trying to explain it to the student as best as possible. Uh, making clear objectives, clear um, commands, so then they are able to understand it. So when they perform it, uh, it's easier for them. And making sure that we could do it ourselves as right. well. So uh, was there anything that stood out that was actually easier for you uh, during that whole training process of being a CFI? 
I would say talking was fine with me. Um, I know with lots of students talk, uh, trying to talk, um, speak in front of classrooms, that was always a big problem. For me, it wasn't as much. Okay. Uh, so that was a strong suit of mind, just learning out that. Just, my problem was making sure I was making clear points and clear objectives. Right, being yeah. articulate and everything. Mm-hmm. So, so being in front of a crowd wasn't much of an issue for you. And most of the time, you're not going to be in the crowd. You're going to be one-on-one. And right. even then, I was fine with that. Unless you're doing some sort of like ground instruction. Ground instruction, like yeah. So, uh, But besides that, uh, in the plane, that was my struggle, trying to talk my way through it. Mm-hmm. Because most of the time, I'll be focusing on, on controls, making sure I do the maneuver right. And that's how we all are. Uh, and we forget to talk. What was it like? switching from the left seat to the right seat uh that's another thing so it does uh, at first you there's something called parallax uh parallax yeah mm-hmm. uh where just that change of view mm-hmm. um so at first you're trying to get used to it you're going to be your first couple of landings or approaches are going to be off you're going to be slightly towards the left because that parallax is going to uh think that you're straight but you're actually somewhat um What's it called? Like off-centered? Or yeah, off, or yeah, off-centered and also, um, yeah, coming in at an angle in the way right. you're coming in the approach. So I've seen that myself, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I've sat in the right seat a couple times just yeah. to kind of get a preview of what it's like, and it's definitely definitely different. For me, it was, you know, now having the throttle on my left hand yeah. and the yoke on my right hand. Yeah, muscle memory is a big <laughs> yeah. thing, yeah. But after the first three flights, it's it should be becoming easier and honestly that's probably one of the one of the hardest things i did uh, that was trying to transition to the right seat Mm -hmm. like just the first couple flights that's the beating of cfi just transitioning from the left seat to the right seat uh whenever you start your flight training so for you not only was it um you know talking out the steps and and doing the whole instructor side of things it was also physically being changing yourself on the airplane too that's that's i'm not really looking forward to that but it's got to happen so <laughs> eventually yes we yeah. all sit in the right seat when we ever yeah. We go yeah um so let's discuss the actual check ride itself okay so how long was your check ride what was the structure like what were, just tell me about it so um my initial check ride uh was i did it in fresno uh, international airport mm-hmm. um this was when a couple months back uh when there was still the rule about the well, we had to take in a complex plane, right? Uh, so, did it over there, and my initial check ride was for the oral. It was eight hours, and I was sure uh, I did not pass the initial one. I was actually eight hours. Yeah, yeah eight oh hours of lots of explaining and talking. <laughs> um, I messed up on a couple of subjects where I didn't have enough knowledge mm-hmm. on um, on those uh, couple subjects. And so I had to go back. Uh, I didn't go back until a month and a half because uh, the RG, our, our, our aircraft, mm-hmm. broke down. And so weapons, we were waiting until repairs could be, can be made. So right. that was mainly some of the delay. But once that new uh, rule came out where we're allowed to use uh, a 172, we don't have to use a complex plane for a check rights, right. uh, then I just quickly got a check right scheduled and met up again. And just making sure I was... Coming off on that, mainly what he got me on was uh, fundamentals of instructing. Okay. So that was a big thing. Uh, for him, that's very big. Uh, it could be different for every check ride. I know with other fellow CFIs, student CFIs at the school, um, their DPEs didn't go as much as FOI as my DPE. Right. Not saying that it's bad, like, oh, you're never going to need FOI is very important or is not very important. Uh, definitely a big part of it, and you should have a basic knowledge of it. Um, 
Yeah, every, yeah. every DP is different, right? Mm-hmm. So, and DP for those who don't know is designated pilot examiner. Um, I mean, they all they all focus on what needs to be, you know, checked as far as the actual certification standards go for the FAA. Of but course. they all kind of have their own way of doing it. Own way. Yeah. So you're saying your first check ride was attempted in the in the uh, RG, mm-hmm. and then the second one was in an S model. That yes. Yeah. Okay. The S model. Yep. So it was in the S model, um, and then even then the second. Uh, Check the retake was a couple hours for the oral, and then it was an hour and a half flight. So the whole check ride was roughly around four hours. And eight hours on that first one. Yeah, they, yeah. Nuts. So that was. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so okay, so with the things you learned from your check rides, what are some things that any other upcoming CFI should do to best prepare themselves for the check ride? Like, what what should I know coming into a CFI check ride that maybe isn't best explained when you're going through the training? Uh, one thing uh, for sure, start on your lesson plans. That's the biggest thing that uh, I wish that. I, I, I would have done sooner. Otherwise, it would have been a faster process and I probably would have been better prepared. I didn't get as started on that as, um, as I should have. Um, but that's the biggest thing. Just go through each section of the P-Hack and cover each uh, task item. Right. Um, that's mainly what I, want, uh, I should have done. And I suggest for all CFIs, as well as make... Whenever you make a lesson, make a scenario based because that's the big, uh, best thing you could do uh, when you're going through your FOI. One thing you're gonna learn is high order of thinking, mm-hmm. and with high order of thinking, it's mainly trying to get the students to think outside of the box and actually see what how, if the students learning. Uh, and lots of DPEs will like that because you can actually combine some of these task items together and make it all one thing. So it just kind of kills two birds with one stone. Do you think people learn better um, when it's scenario based like that, or or I, at least can 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 comprehend the information a little bit better? Um, I guess everyone's different how they learn. Yeah, everyone's different how you learn how they learn. So you have to take that in account. But uh, people who learn um, scenario based, I think, uh, from what I see from my experience and other student CFIs that they use this, and that's what others uh, that's what they suggested for me, and I see them implement it. Uh, is that the students able to? Uh, think uh, you can see the process of thinking and with scenario based training there's no one right answer mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's not supposed to be a quick answer quick easy uh, to find answer it should be for them to actually process all the things that they receive all the information they received before and try to make something out of it mm-hmm. and you can see their thought process on it and to see if they're actually implementing safe uh, techniques and implementing risk management which is the biggest thing um, and that is a great uh, way to understand and see where, how your student's progressing in his learning mm-hmm. and see what he needs to work on more. Uh, and that's what I use for my students. I make sure whenever I go over cross-country planning or anything, I come up with scenarios whenever he's going over his route of, uh, route of flight or anything related to that. So lesson. what if an engine fails right here? What, yeah. what's your, what are you supposed to do if mm-hmm. this is your route or something? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that's important. As, I think a lot of scenario-based training is important because it really puts the whole picture in your perspective, you yes. know? Um, there's a lot of times where I've, like back when I was doing my private pilot training, I would say I'm going to point from a, point A to point B and this is my line and this is my altitude and not really thinking about, well, if I go this way, sure, I can get there. But if I take a couple more minutes going this way, I got a road here, I got a town here, I got another little airport nearby, like mm-hmm. all those little things to, to factor in uh, when you're making those decisions. Uh, so as we said earlier, you're 19 years old. Yes. You're a CFI. What was the transition like 
and how soon after you received your certificate did you actually start instructing? Uh, so the transition from uh, student to uh, flight instructor is definitely lots of. Is that weird? Like, yeah. Like you're, you know, you're because, you know, at our school, right? We're all we're all in the program together. We're maybe not for me, but everyone else is roughly the same age, and you're friends with your with all these guys, and all of a sudden you could very much one day be like just, just with them. And then the next day you're instructing them. So how, yeah. what is, what was that transition? So like? that's one thing that we go over in the training, uh, whenever you get hired and as well as, uh, when you're going for your CFI professionalism. Mm -hmm. So especially teaching at the school, lots of these students are, uh, are friends of mine and we hang out outside of the school a lot of the times. Uh, and although some of them are older than me, we still have to have that, respect and right. when we're in the lesson i'm like hey you have to listen to me whenever i ask you to do something please uh, uh do it and i just want a sense of respect i give you mutual respect the same way mm -hmm. i don't i won't condescend you i won't uh talk you down because definitely as a flight instructor it's not our place to really talk down on it sure. but you should definitely listen to your flight instructor so that's what i i try to put across and I'm like, hey, let's not do horseplay whenever I'm teaching. Mm -hmm. So that's a big uh, major thing when you're trying to transition. Well, I th and I think I think like what the type of program we're in and the the career field we're going into, most of the students at the school are are you know profession driven. So yes. their attitudes already are usually up to par with that. So they kind of understand that there's a line between friend and then when you got to get the work done. Yes, of course. So yeah, and that's yeah. Lots of the students understand that, and it's definitely great to go to uh, and have an environment like that so it's mm -hmm. easier to transition of course sometimes I, i'm not sure how it is at other schools or other facilities because you're definitely going to be going for your cfi and other other location other universities and that transition is going to be weird going from hanging out with your your fellow friends or your students mm -hmm. are now going to be you're going to be fine instructing them so right. it's definitely that transition um but we're all going for that career orientated so we're all professional in that yeah. sense. so so you got your flight. You got your uh, flight instructor certificate. Did you just jump right? Did the school just hire you right away? Like, what was that time frame in between? How did that? What was that process like once you got your certificate? So after I got my certificate, uh, we had to go through undergo some training. It took uh, for me. It took about a week because lots of the instructors who do the training were quite busy with other stuff. So it took a little bit longer trying to meet up with them. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was quite fast actually uh, for me and for other, some other instructors who just got hired. Uh, it was within a week or less, and it was just mainly going over training about rules about at the school, of course, uh, and what we're looking professionalism, uh, as well as pay and all that stuff. All those different things that you have to do when a region hired. So, like, sort of a you got also went through some sort of a standardization training, I'm assuming. So, so yep, yeah, that's a major thing. So, definitely with our school, we have all that maneuver standard guide. Um, and that's something that we have to make sure that we're following mm -hmm. and we're always making sure that we're following that as well as the standard operating procedures at our school right that we're upholding that making sure that we're uh, in uniform and we're correct wearing the correct uniform as well mm -hmm. so and holding up to those rules right so that's another thing that we have to undergo so it's so obviously it's cool it's cool to kind of have that title of you know being so young as a flight instructor um but there's a downside to that you know, I would assume. Well, so you, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to say that you're so young and you're a flight instructor, you're not as experienced as someone else is. And that might be true, but that doesn't mean that the quality instruction is necessarily less. So what would you say to those individuals who believe that with you being a CFI at this young of an age, that that quality of your instruction gets called into question? Um, 
I would say, and there's other students uh, who are like me who have their flight instructor flight instructor's license um, at my young age, mm -hmm. and uh, they will understand. Of course, they're going to be they're going to be questioned, but um, it's always making sure that you have your knowledge up to par because. If they're going to be questioning you, you should be able to have that answer back and be able to show them, demonstrate them uh, that you're able to give that quality of flight instruction. So even if they question you, um, I usually just shrug it off. Right. Um, and as they do having a student, I make sure I show them wh why am I a flight right. instructor, what it took for me to be a flight instructor. Uh, definitely demonstrating, making sure I show them all the knowledges. And of course... You're probably gonna have those students who are gonna to try to test you, see where your knowledge is, right, exactly. and that's why you want to make sure your knowledge is up to par, and you can counteract that just to put them in their place per se, and not uh, to show them. Yes, of course, I might not be proficient in everything, but there's also things that you need to learn, and these are yeah. Yeah, because I, I think, um, and it's kind of for any industry. I know um, in my previous career, uh, I. It, I worked as a, as a technician, a lighting technician for an entertainment company, and I was right out of high school. So kind of in your same boat. And I definitely had some really old salty guys that were just like, you know, they've been in the business forever and they immediately just, they don't give you the time of day. They don't give you any kind of opportunities because they're just kind of see you as this young punk or anything like that. I don't think the aviation industry is quite that way because, um, again, we talk about the level of professionalism involved there. And we need instructors and they're going to be coming, they're going to be coming from schools like just like that. People straight out of high school going through these programs that are somewhat fast paced. And, uh, you know, but, but yeah, it's, I think that people will see the level of professionalism that you can give. And that's a whole point of standardization anyway. Right. So mm -hmm. especially between the students at our school and any school for that matter, when they're getting trained and then get put into the program or out of the program and they're becoming a flight instructor, you are then trained by the school to provide the same instruction that instructor A, B, or C is going to be giving. Yes. So I think that's an important thing to mention. Um, well, being a new flight instructor, you have a couple students already, right, at the school. Yes. Have you had any, we don't have to name names, but have you had any <laughs> uh, scary moments so far? Uh, and if so, how did you, you know, you being a new CFI, how did you deal with those? Uh, definitely being a new flight instructor, uh, when you're doing your flight instruction lessons, you're mainly with um flying with flight instructors so for me of course they try to put some scenarios uh put me in some places where of course you had to take controls mm -hmm. um but there was one student of mine who he's in the middle of the stage getting close to, uh in the middle of his private um and when we're coming in for a landing and it was getting kind of slow on the airspeed for approach so okay. i was like <laughs> watch your airspeed and uh definitely that for say is Something that I was very mind blowing. We were also high as well, so high with low airspeed, uh, definitely not a good combination, or even low for that matter. But mm -hmm. luckily, we were higher, and I was telling him to watch his airspeed and all these things. Uh, but initially, I wanted to take controls. Of course, uh, we weren't at that stage where I had to, where I was hearing the stop warning. Mm -hmm. But we were getting. Uh, if if I didn't say anything, we probably would have got into that mm -hmm. position. But definitely. Uh, that hasn't uh, the hesitation for me to grab the controls is always uh, is there, mm -hmm. but uh, as a flight instructor, we also have to learn to let the students sometimes fly on their own because they have to do with their things. Uh, they they have to learn um, that thought by process. Doing it. Yeah, that thought process as well as that muscle memory um, and the recognitions of the, hazardous situations. Right. Yes. Yeah. And so all the way down to landing it was kind of botched uh, a botched landing. <laughs> uh, 
I'm not sure what kind of landing if we were going doing Safi or Shorefield. I'm not sure what landing was that. <laughs> was that. But uh, the next time around, he was able to do that better. Just that one particular landing. I just wanted to take the trolls. But uh, in that sense, you have to pretty much let the student figure it out uh, and understand what was happening there. Mm-hmm. Of course, after we landed, I debriefed what happened. Sure. I definitely said, hey, first thing, again, standardization. What's, what will we do on base? Uh, and I'll find out what's our airspeed, what's our flap range, our configuration, mm-hmm. and then what we're looking when we're rolling out and flaring, all those things. And I'm just discussing what happened wrong and what he did right. So that's a one, one thing. Of course, we criticize, but we want to make sure we give them uh, some positive feedback as right. well so just to keep them up. Yeah, I think that debrief is really important because I know me going through my training so far, um, a few of my instructors have started asking me. So after we land or taxing back, or even in my in my uh, check rides that I've had, the DPE would ask me, how do you think you did? How, how do you think that landing was? How do you think that maneuver was? And what that does, for me at least, I don't know if this is the same for everybody else, but it actually gets me thinking like, how was that maneuver? How was that landing? Ah, it wasn't that good. I probably could have you know, added a little more power. I probably could have flared more or held the flare longer. And when you talk it out, at least for me, um, it helps you remember to do those things better the next time instead of just yeah. doing the same thing over and over and over again. So that debrief, I think, is really important. What kind of students do you do you have right now between private and instrument, commercial, all that kind of stuff? Uh, so with my CFI, I don't have any instruments uh, students, but I do well, have... Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah. Uh, I do have uh, one, two privates uh, and two commercial students right now. So it's pretty slow for me okay. uh, compared to other instructors where it's like eight students. Um, so... For me, I have four students, but it's especially with this next coming term that we're having in the summer in August, we're going to be having up to 50 students. So that's going to be changing for me. Mm-hmm. So for right now, I'm just trying to build up my experience. So when we get those initial students, uh, I'll be ready for that. And are you working on your double I? Yes, yeah, so I'm currently working my double I. Hopefully I'll get it by either by the end of July or beginning of August as well. Let's see if double I is a flight instructor instrument. instrument. So you'll be able to teach instrument students as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so you got to refresh on all the instrument stuff you learn. Yeah, so that's what I'm doing right now. Uh, yeah. Um, so uh, we mentioned this already, but C- certified flight instructor is part of the overall program that you and I are in uh, with the goal of getting to fly for a major airline in the end. So do you plan to keep instructing while at the airlines or, or you know, keep your k- ticket active, if you will, or is, it, are your, is your focus like purely the airlines down the road? Uh, honestly, I don't really have a... Uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to continue flight instructing, but I probably I would like to continue flight instructing some. Uh, maybe on the side. Yeah, or probably like. on the side. That's probably what it's going to be like. Uh, because it's definitely a great experience uh, having that. And uh, at least for the 141 school, it, at least teaching at the school, you get that, uh, you see that uh, passion uh, for students trying to get their license, trying to make this in a professional career, and just doing it in general aviation. You still see that same passion for yeah. different ages. So people who are young and to people who are older. Uh, you still see that passion, and it's great to uh, nurture that and make it into something, make it into their dream, mm-hmm. uh, trying to make, uh, help them accomplish that goal. And that's just an awesome part. And that's my instructor, why my instructor did that, uh, did that for me, uh, for my private. Uh, he was a chemical engineer, uh, so he didn't really need to do <laughs> fun instruction. He was already set for life, yeah. but uh, he just did it from the bottom of his heart because he loved aviation to- all the time. So. Any chance he had to go flying, he would definitely take it up. Uh, and I still keep in contact with him. And every time I go back home, I try to see if I could go fly with him whenever I can. That's so, good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, it's interesting because there's a couple airline pilots I know who 
they they keep their their CFI cert pretty active and in their spare time. I mean, they have a thousand hobbies, but it's kind of the same thing. It's not a matter of like I can do all these things. They it's it's not just a matter of instructing somebody for them. From what from what they've told me, it's a matter of it's seeing that progression in somebody and you mm-hmm. being a part of that is kind of like that little light bulb goes off. So that's cool. Um, so here's a good question that or a question I wanted to ask you too. All right. So we talked about you being a flight instructor. You went through the program. You got your certificate. Now you're training students, but you're still a student yourself. You're still learning or doing the classes that are at our school as part of the degree. Yes. So how do you balance being an employed instructor at our university and yet still a student attending the courses related to the degree that we're pursuing? Uh, so that's, that's something that's nice for our school that uh, they make it um, possible where you're able to flight instruct and have a have cl- take your classes at the same time. So uh, we have dispatch, uh, dispatcher as well as scheduling operations where they take care of that. Um, of course, uh, right as of right now, it's up to this fighting structure to schedule their schedule their own week. Mm-hmm. Uh, but soon enough, it's going to be changing that where they're going to have designated times that it's going to be available. Uh, so we're going to be always filled up. Okay. And not, yeah, and not trying to look for a student and looking for a time. Right. Uh, but as of right now, um, it's definitely trying to figure out what uh, I have to figure out my students' classes. What when are they available if they have work outside of school? Because that's another thing. Lots of these students also have work because, again, this is an expensive thing. And they yeah. Can't, yeah. Well, like myself. Like mm-hmm. I work, but, I mean, there's, there's a few of us at the school who have other jobs. Some are during the week in the city in which our school is located. But, like myself, I'm on the weekend. So that doesn't really affect my schedule. But yeah. um, especially later on, as you get more and more students, all of that is going to play a, is a bigger factor, I'm mm-hmm. assuming, to it. Yeah. How, well, when do you get your schedule? Or is it kind of on a daily basis right now, just with all the changes? Uh, it was uh, how they're trying to do it, at least right now. It's still in the trying to implement it. Uh, but it's going to be per week, say, like by the end of the week, they will have it ready for the next week. Okay, got it. So it's going to be like that every week. And actually, I believe they're going to be having designated times depending on what uh, rating you're going for. So privates uh-huh. will be in the in the afternoon as well as commercials will be in the midday and then IFR operations will be in the morning because especially in the morning we have that haze right uh, per, uh, and it's usually two statue miles so it's mm-hmm. hard for us to do VFR during that so we usually are waiting until that uh, clears up right during the afternoon uh, but that's what they're still working on trying to get um, but definitely is making sure for me as trying to get Trying to make sure the student progresses fast enough mm-hmm. and making sure that he flies regularly mm-hmm. uh, as well as um, not finding the trying to make that balance schedule of making sure that I'm going to classes, I'm making my making my classes because there's been a couple of times where my flight instructor will be uh, delayed mm-hmm. and I'll be going into class and I'll be coming into class late. So that's not really good. Right. So you're, uh, you're yeah. handling your schedule in addition to your student schedule and your yeah. class schedule. Mm-hmm. With your class schedule. schedule. So that's a... That's definitely a lot to juggle. Yeah. So you and I both recently moved off campus. Uh, you got yes. a house and you're living with one other guy from the school. I got a different house and living with three other guys from the school. Go ahead and paint us a picture of your basic day living off campus and then coming to school and going to class and instructing. So uh, as of right now, um, from week to week, it's pretty much the same. I have class Monday through Thursday for three to five. So just that midday's. Uh, is just filled up with class, uh, but in the morning, it's mainly getting up, ready, be at the school around eight o'clock, where I will have usually my flight lessons. Sometimes will be earlier at seven a.m. 
Um, and then that will go on until lunchtime, 12 o'clock. I'll take a break uh, for 30 minutes uh, and then try to see if I can get one or two fights in before my next class. And then usually in the afternoon, I'll try to get one fight if possible. If not, then uh, that'll be the rest of my day. Just that afternoon, just focusing on uh, assignments and also getting ready for my CFWI. Okay. Yeah. So so when do you typically fit in time to study and, and stuff? Uh, so yeah, uh, whenever I don't have a, so whenever I'm not able to fill that time, a lot of slot, like mm-hmm. in the morning at 8 a.m. or the afternoon at one o'clock or in the after school, after class, I just usually try to use that time to study. Um, usually a couple hours uh, a day. I usually have a couple hours to spare right now. It's just since I am low on students. Right, of sure. course, as I get uh, more students, that's going to be smaller time and I'm going to have to designate a certain amount of well, time. Well, come August, right? I mean, we're... <laughs> yeah, so we're, that's... We've got 50 students, I think, in August, so I think you're going to be pretty busy. Yeah, so definitely with that, uh, it's going to be potentially looking like eight, nine students for me, so that's going to be where I'm going to have... To, where scheduling observations will hopefully get something in place mm-hmm. so it'll be easier uh, for us so we have a designated schedule and making sure that we're always fill, our schedule is always filled up with students to fly with mm-hmm. and we'll at least know ahead of time we can plan it out mm-hmm. how we want a lot of times our, the schools are partnered with a lot of regional a carriers regional. we partner with um, I mean almost all of them and I think we're only uh, sitting on a couple final details for some contracts for a couple other regional carriers I'm talking to you envoy <laughs> and um, which is nice because basically you get your CFI and you can sign on sign on, sign on excuse me with an airline pretty much right when you get your CFI uh, and in some cases already get a seniority number, which is huge mm-hmm. when it comes to that. Um, speaking of airlines, though, so what's next for you? What's the plan? Are you are you you're trying to go? Uh, what, what what airline are you looking at? So right now, yeah, just continue with my CFI and I'm still looking at some cadet programs. As of right now, I'm part of the ambassador program for Compass Airlines. So the reason why I uh, went with Compass Airlines compared to others, uh, regional airlines, is that they're mainly based on the West Coast, which is something that I would prefer. Yeah. Uh, based in LAX, Phoenix, Seattle. So that's for me. I'm comfortable living at all those three places uh, bases since I have family in each of those uh, areas. Mm. Um, and of course, I know people are, would probably be thinking, oh, I would probably commute to my base. And that's possible. But for me, that could be another thing um, for me that I don't want to be focusing on that, trying to commute every single time going just to work. Stress. Yeah, just added stress that I don't want to put on myself. Um, as well as uh, just the environment they have. As visiting the uh, headquarters and visiting the and meeting all these people, just the environment they have with the pilots and all the, um, the headquarters administration uh, recruiting. Uh, it's more of a family environment, a young environment, and I, that just really attracts me and their, uh, what the fleet they have, Embraer is 175, so that's definitely nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, as well as their pay is very competitive right. uh, compared to other regionals. So, of course, it's not focusing on the pay, just mainly about the basis and just, again, uh, it's just how do you want to live out your life to just the way of, not the way of life, but um, quality of life. Quality of life. Yeah, yes. yeah. It, it's it's crazy. In in the very first episode of this podcast, we we talked to an American Airlines pilot who has gone through the gamut from you know back in the day when you had to to know somebody to get a job and and even when even then it was uh, you trying to pull the get the job and sell yourself. Now, airlines are coming to us, which is yes. it's a crazy time it's crazy, right now. Yeah. Um. So many options, and and actually that's what's. Um, kind of exciting, I think, about that is to see the different airlines come through, um, see what they're offering, 
if your goal is a major airline, you're going to be with that regional for, you know, not too long, but it's still a matter of time, uh, or it's still a matter of, like you said, quality of life while you're with them. Mm-hmm. Um, you get opportunities through these collegiate programs, like we mentioned, like an ambassadorship. So you're an ambassador for Compass. I'm an ambassador for Piedmont. And so what does that mean? Let's, let's talk about that for just a quick moment. So you as an ambassador for Compass, what, what does that mean? Uh, so for Compass, they wanted to do something different uh, compared to other regional airlines. They see that with the cadet programs, it's very, uh, they saw that with lots of the cadet programs, when you sign up and interview, we get hired with the cadet program. It's really nothing much besides uh, you get a mentor and that's great and all, but Besides that, they don't inter- really interact with you that much. They maybe call you a couple times to see how you're progressing, how's your hours right. coming in so they could get uh, get you selected for a class. Uh, but there was really not much that they uh, where you're interacting with the company and doing something. So the ambassador for Compass uh, wants to take that and actually make, improve on it, uh, where you pretty much help with the recruiting process and understand where pretty much we attended uh, the Compass headquarters in Minneapolis, which was amazing. Uh, they treated us very well, but as well as we understand and learn everything about Compass and about the environment, what they're all about. And so that's just in itself gets you really involved in the whole environment of Compass. It makes you p- uh, feel part of the family mm-hmm. already. Uh, and with that, of course, whenever you hire a pilot and they add your employee number or your name, we get a, sign, um, a recruiting bonus. So that's nice. we don't get that recruiting bonus until we sign on with the airline. So with this ambassador program is not a, a year contract where I sign on with them and I have to fly with them a year. So if I do want to change for any other reason to another regional airline, I'm able to do so, I'll just resign my position. So there's nothing for me. You're not, you're not committed. Yeah. To I'm not committed to it. Mm-hmm. But you like Compass. So yes, I like Compass. Compass. And I'm going to uh, I'm going to continue down this unless if I found something different that's maybe Compass is not for me later on. But as of right now, I'm enjoying Compass and that's I'm looking towards that right now. Yeah. And the reason why I brought all this up to tie this back into the whole being a CFI is, you know, with these types of programs, you, you are afforded those kind of opportunities. Yes. Um, most of the regional carriers require you to have your CFI. Um, and then eventually you're a multi-engine, um, which some places get as part of the commercial training, you do commercial multi at the same time. Our school is a little different, but they make, they make some, uh, exceptions for that and whatnot. So, um, but you know, again, thanks for talking to me about, being a CFI and everything, no, thank you I'll be I'll be there me. soon. I promise. <laughs> um, give me a few months and we'll get there. Um, going to pl- go ahead and plug a little a little uh, little Oshkoshness here. Yeah. Um, so myself and and Moises will actually be flying out to Oshkosh in uh, July. So if you're going to be there, um, try to say hi to us. We're going to be there on behalf of um, our our school CAU and our partnership with AOPA. So you'll see our aircraft, um, our Top Hawk aircraft. We'll also go into that in a little bit detail in a later episode. Um, well, our plane will be parked there at the, uh, AOPA booth and hopefully you'll see me and Moises there throughout the event. We'll be there probably from the 23rd when it opens or 22nd, uh, till probably about Wednesday or Thursday, the 26th. Um, the plane will be there the whole time, but you and me will be there for, yeah, you know, the first, the days, first yeah. half. So that's going to be exciting. Mm-hmm. Super excited about that. Yeah. My first time. So yeah, mine too. So yeah. <laughs> it's going to be exciting. And I, th- I want to be there the whole time, but I think, uh, any, I would just, I would be exhausted by the end. So, yeah. so half of the event is good for me. So anyway, if you guys are out there and you see us, we'll, um, probably be in our little red top box shirts, at least for some of it. If not, definitely come by the AOPA booth and, and check out, um, our uh, Cessna 172S brand new, um, and talk to us about the school, talk to us about our partnership with AOPA. But with that being said, Moises, thanks for uh, coming over and talking to me about 
your your escapades and as a flight instructor getting to learn all the stuff you gotta learn and uh, I'm a little nervous myself about getting into that but uh, no thank you yeah (laughs) and as always thank you all for listening next week will be part two of the flight instructor installment we go to the opposite side of the spectrum and speak with Dave Kendrick who in addition to being a very seasoned flight instructor has done pretty much everything you can imagine when it comes to aviation If you like the show, go ahead and give a rating and review on iTunes, and of course, tell your friends. If you have any comments, suggestions, or questions, send an email to feedback at v1podcast.com. Thanks for stopping by, everybody. I'm Nick Herring, and we'll see you next time on V1, the podcast.